Hi, and welcome to the SAP HCM Insights podcast. I'm Steve Bogner, the managing partner at Insight Consulting Partners, here with the most incredible podcast team in the world um, to talk about the SAP Success Factors Analyst Conference that uh, was held recently. Uh, two, three of our podcast members, uh, Brandon Toombs, Jarrett Pazahanik, and Luke Marson, were there, and uh, the rest of us had um, real jobs to do, so we were out doing that. <laughs> Actually, we didn't get invited. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about that, and I think um, Jarrett, Brandon, and Luke will do most of the talking, um, and we'll ask, ask some questions and um, try to dig a little deeper and see if we can pry any NDA information out of them, see how good they are with that. Um, and that we'll go from there. So uh, on the podcast today, we've got, like I said, Brandon Toombs, Jarrett Pazahanik, Luke Marson. And uh, in the peanut gallery with me is Becky Murray, Sven Ringling, Amy Grubb, and Mark Ingram. Um, Jarrett, so give us just sort of a high-level overview of, of what this was all about. And uh, maybe describe uh, who was there and um, what was covered. And then you and Brandon Luke just sort of get into the details and... Um, you know, we'll we'll butt in and ask questions as we have them. Okay. Uh, you know, with the talk about being invited, uh, I'm I'm sometimes surprised that I am invited. Uh, one of my buddies, uh, Chris Solomon, said they probably only invited you to take you down to the boiler room and give you a good beating. There you which go. That was pretty, which I thought was pretty funny. But you know, <laughs> yeah, in you, a know <laughs> you know what they say: keep your friends close and your enemies closer. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, in, in all seriousness, it's uh, I think it's really kudos to the SAP and Success Factors team for looking to bring a lot of uh, voices to some of these events. These the the, the event itself is a t as um, it's gotten a little smaller over the years, but this year I think it had maybe thirteen or fourteen of the major analysts there. You know all the major names you know: Josh Burson, Holger, Ray Wang. You know representatives from Forrester, IDC, Gartner. And uh, they invited sort of three practicing consultants, uh, myself, uh, Luke, and Brandon. And I believe for all of us, this was our third year in a row. So it it's went to different venues all out in California this year. We were at the St. Regis Hotel for uh, two days. And it's all the senior leadership from um, success, SAP and Success Factors. And this year, we even had Rob Ensling come, uh, who's a, a board member of uh, a board member of SAP. And he leads the entire, entire cloud portfolio. So Concur, Hybris, and uh, obviously Success Factors, and uh, I feel like I miss Ariba. And uh, he provided some guidance as to, you know, some information what's coming um, strategically for the whole the whole suite. Um, so that was, uh, that's sort of the overview of the event. It's it's all the leaders get up and speak about their various areas. And it's it's a lot of uh, open uh, back and forth. I mean, they're, they're providing information, and then they're really looking for feedback and conversation and then there's there was a lot of tough love and a lot of hard questions uh, given in the room as well and I, and I found overall the leadership group to be very uh, open transparent uh, a lot of listening sadly a lot of stuff was under NDA maybe a little more than I would have liked uh, which was mentioned quite a few times like why is you know why is this specifically under NDA and um, sometimes the answer was well this shouldn't be so you guys can share it and we tried to share all of us tried to share as much as we could. I should also mention that Sherry Meyer was there from ASOG as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so she was representing ASOG and the, the user group um, in those meetings. So that's sort of a, just a broad overview. I guess I'll just give sort of one, a couple, a couple quick areas, and I'm not sure how we dive into them, uh, but uh, some of the big areas that jumped out to me were uh, leadership. Um, so one of the things that 
you've probably all noticed is that there's been a lot of leadership turnover at Success Factors. Um, I look back and from the sessions we had three, two years ago, um, there was only one of nine leaders still in the organization. And uh, when you change leaders, it's you know new people coming in, new ideas. It does typically you know anything you've ever read about that. It does set things back, uh, you know, because they come in with their own new ideas. I will say that I was initially um, not as positive as I maybe should have been about leaders coming in without an HR background. But one thing that this show was this this event was pretty clear to me is there's some benefits in that as well. Some benefits in people coming from outside of the HR domain. And looking at things a different way and asking, you know, why are we doing it this way? What what can we be doing better? And so there's new leaders in, uh, obviously, Greg Toom is the new leader of Success Factors, but there's new leader in partnership, uh, Dave Osborne. And he's really looking to shape up, shake up a lot of things in the partnership group. Um, and, and almost every domain area seemed to have a new leader from uh, two years ago. And so there was a lot of uh, healthy dialogue um, and ideas shared uh, around several of those topics. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was the first time that I'd seen Greg Tom in action, and I was I was very impressed by his approach, um, by the way he was looking to garner feedback um, from the community. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things in the past, I mean, SAP uh, is sometimes they're very open to feedback. Sometimes they haven't been so much. Um, mm-hmm. Greg seemed generally interested, and I could see him writing down notes and I could see other people in his team writing notes and I had people you know, come to me or to come up to other people and say, yeah, I'd like to have a follow-up with you on that. Yeah, I'd like to learn a bit more about that. And, and, and I think that's really refreshing from this leadership um, that they've been so open um, versus some other leadership. Not not to say that the previous leaderships haven't been that open, but they seem, they seem really, really... Um, excited about having people that are willing to share information with them that's going to help them uh, be, be, a, be a better organization. Yeah, that, that's great. Well, I, I hope that we see it reflected in action, you know, coming out of this too. Jarrett, would you say that the primary purpose of this meeting is to give analysts um, like status updates on where things are or sneak peeks to what's in the roadmap? Or is it just more of a general industry type discussion where they gather people together to discuss trends or things like that? Yeah, I mean, this was where my my consulting background comes out. The answer is yes. Uh, it's pretty much uh, all the all the above there. I mean, really, the initial goal is to, um, to be a bit of a rah-rah event to tell all the good things that they're doing. Um, for them, I think it's a, a, some, a lot of opportunity to get some free consulting. Um, a lot of these analysts, a lot of these analysts uh, write major reports, you know, and, and they're, they're, the competitors do these events and, and these events are important to be able to um, have these discussions. I think there's, they make it so there's a lot of one-on-one time. Um, you know, something that struck out to me when I was flying home was that, you know, I, it's a little easier sometimes to sit behind a, a keyboard and say, you know, this is no good and this is not this is no good and you know here's a problem but then when you have a chance to sit next to some of these people and you talk with them and you realize hey they also know it's a problem and and they're and they're working on it and they're they have plans in place it's sort of and you have that personal connection it does it does make you step back and say like I step back and say you know for a good example is there is a lot of good things happening on the partnership side and one thing that I just told the leadership that I wasn't planning on doing anymore is continuing on with my wild west theme 
at least for the next six months. Um, six because month things break. are happening. Now, yeah. six month break, don't make promises now. That, <laughs> things are happening that are positive and, and you know, I want to, I want to see positive things happen and I want to give, you know, I want to be fair and give them a chance to, if, if there's real things in place and things are happening, I want to give them a chance to see their course. I realize that things don't happen in a couple weeks. I mean, these mm -hmm. are big ships to turn around. And so that was, that was one thing that really, really jumped out to me. And there was a lot of sharing on the product roadmap and that was a lot of the stuff that was under NDA. So they, you know, it, for us, it becomes a little bit when we see here stuff at success connect, you know, we've always, we've already heard that that in these previous sessions so they typically try to give a little bit of color of what's uh, going to be you know I'd say six months out six months to nine months out uh, on the roadmap sure so Jared can you can you share anything about the the Wild West or is the sheriff going to stop independent consultants from existing I was just gonna ask that <laughs> are we changing the Wild West <laughs> yeah, there was no specific talk about, you know, independent consultants. I think that's put a bit lower on the radar screen. I, I think the big things were um, that came across to me is uh, that start to, started in development last year is success factors has what's called a heat map. And, and Brandon, you may be able to jump in with some of the specifics of, of what's on that. But at the end of the day, picture like a Gartner or Forrester report that has partners in quadrants. And let's just say if you're in the top green corner, you're in good shape. If you're in the bottom red, uh, not so much. And um, and I think that's that. The question there for me is they're taking this information based on they're now finally tracking um, things like what partners are doing all the implementations, where they're at in the in the stage of the project, how many how many customers did the partner bring live this year. This was one that I thought was excellent. How many tickets are they putting into the, the success factor system that are not issues at all. They're like mm -hmm. how-to questions, or and that's you're, so you're getting like you're getting dinged a bit on that if you have this whole team of consultants that's asking questions that consultants should know. All mm -hmm. this information now, this is the secret sauce. They wouldn't share the heat map even under NDA, but it, you know I I'm trusting that they really have it because they did mention it, and they said that eventually this heat map is going to be shared with account executives and it's going to help influence um, what what. When the times when the account reps have this have a say when customers are asking them which um, SIs they should use, this heat map will be one of the sources sources that they use. And, and I push them to say, why can't you make this heat map public? Yeah, and, exactly. You know, let, the, let the customers conservative see. Conservative SAP, mm -hmm. conservative SAP, you know, is probably not ready for the legal, uh, the legal, le legal ease of that. And then the other big thing is my big push, and I. Heard varying things on it was that the bottom X percentage that continually is in the bottom quadrant of this heat map um, should be removed as partners, mm -hmm. and that's the big one for me because the partner system ecosystem is too big uh, for the volume of work right now. And I'd like to see you know I talked to Dave Osborne and he was pretty clear that we really need to start doing more of a carrot and a stick approach. And to me, the stick has been lacking. Uh, it doesn't go with the sort of the SAP overall model that partners drive sales. Um, and he's looking, I'd like to see the best partners out there, several of which are on the call here today, get rewarded and not having to compete with these third and fourth rate providers that are looking to come in, low bid projects, change order the customer to death, and, and just don't have the skills to bring the customer live. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Brandon, what, do, what, what did I say that was uh, incorrect there? No, no, I think it was, <laughs> that, that was all good, and I, I, I won't 
belabor too much on the uh, partner front. I, yeah, it, it was obvious to me that um, that uh, I, and I think this is a really important point to make that you know people like Jarrett that they're willing to uh, you know stick their neck out and and say when things need to be corrected. Well, I'm I'm pretty sure that the uh, uh, a lot of these initiatives um, were, were things that that have come about uh, with at least some uh, cajoling from from people like Jared to you know rattle the cages and say, you know, we need to we need to make some improvements in this area. And I think that's really um, that, that's really brought to bear in the area of the partner uh, mm-hmm. adjustments that that we're seeing. And um, Jared, I don't know if you remember this, but they were saying that, uh, that that they have already started calling a significant number of partners out, and that's you know that's a good thing. So mm-hmm. no, I'll definitely uh, give them some some kudos for that. Um, so uh, uh, just a couple of key themes. I don't. I don't. I mean, it was a two day event, and um, so there's way more that w- that we could go into than we're going to have time to on this podcast. Uh, so I'm just going to uh, touch on a couple of things that I found interesting. Um, one um, is a pretty good segue from what we just talked about, um, and that is. Uh, that they're introducing the concept, or or maybe not even introducing it, because I know that it's probably been out there for a little while, but uh, it's going to be something that I think that they are going to emphasize more, and that is the concept of guardrails um, mm-hmm. on implementations. And so uh, what this means is guardrails is the idea of saying these are what we're ex- what the expected norms are for uh, a project. So, uh, for Steve, you'll appreciate this from my background. I, I think of this similar to generally accepted accounting principles or mm-hmm. GAAP. Sure. And so and so, guardrails will be things where we say, uh, where they say, you know, if you are, uh, if they're coming in and they're doing quality checks and they're looking at uh, your project, this implementation, and you're not following these, these guardrails, you're going to have to justify why that is. And I've uh, as someone who's gone in and cleaned up after several implementations, I can see where that would really be useful. And, and quite frankly, I think a lot of consultants would welcome that because then they would be able to also push back when customers are making demands that maybe um, aren't in their long-term best interest. So um, that's one cool thing I would say. And I kind of, I kind of like that. Now, I, you know, I don't think it's 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 tied to you know best practices and whatnot. Um, I think to some some extent that's always going to play a part. Is one of the most common things that people do, and customers having to justify why they aren't doing something that's common. And now there's always a business reason um, mm-hmm. for these things. Sometimes it's very valid, mm-hmm. but sometimes, as you all know, Steve, from what you've done in the past and what the other uh, you know the other uh, guys on on this podcast have seen is that sometimes customers do things and you just think you know why are you doing that <laughs> why, why yeah. would you go ahead yeah yeah you, you know where i'm coming from and i think having these guardrails in place will at least if 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 not um you know force customers to follow best practice or anything like that is at least going to get customers to really think about why they're doing things and explain it mm-hmm. you know yeah. I, I was with someone re- recently um that mentioned to me a lot of the time, you know, um, if you go back and, and you make a, somebody who's come up with something, just put together a small business case, maybe just one or two PowerPoint slides, you'll find 80% of the time they won't do it. Mm. And that, that idea will die. And I think this is that kind of similar concept mm-hmm. um, of getting the customer to be able to justify it because a lot of times, you know, it'll end up, they'll end up not doing it and it'll, uh, It'll never happen. You know, I, I like the idea of guardrails, Luke. Uh, I really do. And, I, you know, I've 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 gone off the road before on certain things, too. And, you know, I learned the hard way. But I also 
don't want customers to read too much into that because it's not going to prevent a consultant from doing stupid things, right? It's, it's, it's going to say, well, here's the configuration and the configurations within the guardrails, but maybe the process just stinks, right? So I think that, you know, I think that we need to remember the guardrails are there from a more of a technical process perspective, not from a, a consulting process perspective, because you can still, you know, get a client into trouble and, and be between the guardrails just by being stupid. And I, I use stupid as a, you know, I don't mean it to sound too pejorative at all, but um, that's just how I describe, you know, sort of rookie mistakes that maybe new consultants make or consultants who have never really um, had to uh, consult a complex customer, right? And so they're with a really complex customer and they're just sort of out of their league and not ready for it. So I, I just want customers to keep that in mind when they hear about guardrails. It, it's good, but it's not going to solve everything. No, it's a great point. Um, and it, it, it won't. I think good, good solid consulting advice, experienced consultants, um, not just technology, but also process, um, are going to be the, the, the real things that are going to yeah. stop customers going down the, uh, the wrong path more than more than a guardrail but you know as you said i i, I do think it, it it's it's in there to create a thought process for the customer to help them justify and to understand exactly why they are doing something in a particular way mm-hmm. um yeah. and to make sure that they are aware that you know there are other ways that m- may be a little more suitable a little better mm-hmm. um but to but at least enable them to think it through and make sure that that path they're going down is the right path yeah Brandon, who's going to do the quality checks? Well, good question. Um, so that is something that that Success Factors uh, is saying that they are uh, obviously they, they offer that as part mm-hmm. of their implementations, or that you, that's kind of an add-on. I wish it wasn't. I wish that was really more part of the uh, right. overall uh, licensing. Um, but even if not, I think that if you really do get guardrails out there and people know that. Mm-hmm. Um, most consultants want to stay in that safe harbor, and um, and if you, especially if you build that into the certification process, to, to where you can say these are the things that that are the established norms. Mm-hmm. I think that that would go a long way towards cleaning things up and, and keeping uh, implementations consistent with one another. You know, I, I guess I have a bit of a different experience. Um, I, I would say most small consultants, um, you know, independent consultants like us and smaller firms, um, would welcome the feedback, but. My experience is, you know, the larger the consulting firm gets, the more resistant they are to having someone come in and do a quality check. Um, you know, I've seen that over and over over the last 20 years. So um, it's, I think, you know, it would be good for SAP success factors to to really um, get emphatic about that. I mean, maybe get loud about that, about the quality checks and about uh, partners who might refuse quality checks. Um, it really is in the customer's best interest, you know. I mean, it's like I, I've told customers over and over um, c- because I've done quality checks on different projects, and I'll say, you know, these are things from my perspective that you should take a look at. Um, you know, I've just been in here for you know a little while, so maybe there's things I'm missing, but talk to your consulting provider about them. Uh, maybe pay some special attention to them. You know, here are some things to look at. It's up to you to do something with it. Um, 
and and generally customers end up well better for it. So anyway, yeah, and just just one. I think I'll add on to that, Steve. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think one of the things we heard we heard things like you know configuration checker is coming to help yeah. sort of be able to identify configuration issues. Yeah. I sort of envisioned it in my mind a little bit like you know the tax reporter configuration checker, so to speak, and. Uh, you know, and the other big thing is we talk heard a lot about model office, and but your point is spot on. Like, there's a whole series of tool sets out there, but there's a relationship between success factors and SAP and their partners that's it's a very we'd like you to do this versus maybe some other vendors are saying yeah. you have to do this. Yeah. And so yeah. these, that that's the challenge that I think that and and you know. One of the things with some of these big firms is they have big businesses with SAP outside of success factors. So mm-hmm. one of the things I recommend it is you carry a bigger stick than you think. Success factors business yeah. might be X number for, uh, you know, I'm just throwing out a name for Accenture, but the overall SAP business is sizable. They, you know, and so I think sometimes the SAP carries a little more um, clout. And the and keep in mind, these big firms carry some clout with SAP too because they're a, they're a business channel to bring SAP mm-hmm. work and they have other practices as well. So it's a very, it's an interesting relationship where it's sort of two powerful organizations Um determining what makes the best sense but they and so these programs like model office and these other ones whether you like them or hate them it's a it's a version of rds so to speak but with a little more behind it but if the big firms don't embrace it our customer is going to know about it and the other thing is some of these things help implementations go faster and implementations going faster is not quite the business model of all consultants and that comes back to my point of if you called the ecosystem a certain amount of the poor performing partners that might help spur that there's so much work in the marketplace that we want to get customers live as quick as possible, knowing that there's another there's another project and multiple projects that you're going to move on from that one into the next one too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I change the subject? Sure. Because I, I have another question. Um, is there anything, um, Jarrett and Brandon, you, you guys can share with us around success factors being on the insulin march, if you will, to the common technology stack? Uh, yeah, I think that that is definitely, that, that's a, that was actually, a, a, we spent most of the afternoon um, on the first day talking about the, the common technology. First, uh, first of all, moving everyone, all of the uh, data centers over to uh, the HANA stack. And so that, and that, of course, uh, is going to be step one. Step two will be everyone getting on the common analytics. And then beyond that, they started, uh, we spent most of the afternoon uh, talking about uh, how uh, eventually things like Leonardo were going to pay a, a dividend and, and things like that. I mean, it got, mm-hmm. some of that got uh, way over my head, um, to be honest with you. But I do know that that is a point of emphasis uh, this year that wasn't there in years past, which is to say, that not only are we a great company success factors on our own, but we have the muscle and might of uh, SAP behind us. And that is really going to uh, yield dividends because instead of us having to in, uh, reinvent certain technologies, we're able to just leverage things that mm-hmm. SAP has already spent millions and millions of dollars um, uh, um, inventing. Mm-hmm. So. Right. Well, right. what does that mean for future innovation with success factors? I saw something on Twitter yeah. that intimated it would be limited, which concerns me. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that jumped out was that there's there, there was more of a global strategy, uh, an overall product strategy with all the different offerings they have, which I think you'll hear a lot more about at success at uh, Sapphire. One of the things we heard quite a bit about was the fact of 
uh, we they called it integration, but I think people like the term unification better. And I actually personally think that's a lot better term to go to market with, but unification across the suite of success factors and making stuff that, you know, be cross recruiting and EC and other stuff that, you know, should have, you know, should have worked, should have been addressed. A lot of that stuff is being looked at right now to really, so a lot of plumbing work is being done behind the scenes. I give kudos to success factors for doing that, you know, put it, you know, the things like getting it on the common database and doing some of this unification doesn't help sell software today, but also those will be the things that help them develop quicker down the road. Um, and you know, one of the big conversations they had is they are still releasing a lot of technology. I mean, I think they said that there was like a 1,450 uh, enhancements in the last release. And I ask a question: How many? How many of those are being adopted by customers? Because a lot of them are opted in. And they promised to give me back that information, but they didn't. Uh, maybe it's coming. But but at the end of the day, my thought is is that as we stand right now, there's more innovation coming in the technology than their customers can uh, can handle right now. And so they're they're hmm. potentially looking at some different options around that. Is how do we release stuff that's we're releasing great stuff now, but how do we ensure that we're releasing it on a time frame that our customers uh, can adopt that technology. And I think that's an important discussion as well. And that's a bit of a rat race, I think, that all of us are in as well. You know, you're keeping up on the amount of innovation that's happening. And this is our this is our livelihoods. You can you imagine a customer that's live and this is one of, you know, 50 different things they're doing to run the business. It's I think it's hard for them to keep keep track of uh, all the changes that are coming quarterly and which ones of them will help their organization. Then the other big thing they're doing is is looking to provide some more tool sets and some things that help customers more easily uh, consume new functionality as well. You know the the pace of change management um, is huge, right? But we all we all know that. I think we have a duty as consultants to prepare our customers for that as we're going through a project, to make sure that they have the the right expectations, right? And that they have the resources and the processes in place to evaluate these changes and, and absorb them. And, you know, it also comes back to, Brandon, what you were talking about with the guardrails. Um, my experience with any software, I mean, I don't think success factors is anything different. When you stay within the guardrails for a, any given system, any updates or changes from the vendor are going to be easier to adapt, right? It's when you get outside those guardrails that you start to get in trouble. But, you know, I, th I think, I, I just really think that as consultants, we have a duty to help prepare our customers for that. Um, and, you know, not doing that is going to leave them in a bad situation. And, you know, that's not good for anyone. Yeah. So is guardrails the new term for best practice? Oh, gosh, don't get me started. That's <laughs> oh, our next yeah. podcast, best practices. <laughs> you jumped the gun on that one. Oh, don't get me started. Anyway. But I think you, you're making a good point, Steve, about expectations from customers, how, how to manage and consume the innovation that's, that's coming. And, and to some extent, that starts with the implementation. I think that there is the expectation raised that it's all very simple, quick to deploy. And, and that's true, or at least true in the sense it's getting simpler to deploy the technology. Um, but it, it's kind of expected that you don't need uh, the resources to to make to make these innovations count in your organization, um, but unfortunately, software is evolving faster than the human race, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's that's kind of forgotten. Everybody just talks about how simple it is to switch something on, 
but then nobody is budgeting for the for the transformation work you still need to do exactly. to make this sound in the organization. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where customers end up with, okay, we can switch this on quite quickly. But even if you have somebody to pay for switching it on, it will not be much. But then how is it adopted? And I think on, on that side, customers need to be made aware that this is still a job they need to do or have somebody to help them doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's just, it's an age-old problem, but I think the pace of change with success factors makes it, um, it magnifies it. So, Brandon, what else was, was going on there that we should know about? Yeah, so um, one thing that's, that was really interesting for me, um, being in the room, as Jarrett said, not only just with the success factors leadership, but the analysts and those of you that don't follow uh, some of the people that we're talking about, like, uh, you know, Josh Greenbaum, uh, uh, Josh Burson, uh, Stacey Harris, I, I could go on and on and on. I'll miss uh, I'll miss a lot of them. But it, uh, if you look at my tweet timeline, you'll see some of the names uh, c- pop up a lot. Um, but those people. Um, work with all of these different vendors and they, and they serve an invaluable role of helping people, uh, helping um, uh, those of us out in the marketplace understand what the, what the relative strengths are, but they also help the, the uh, uh, vendors that they're covering um, understand where they, where they sit. And the, these analysts were, were really, they were kind of incredulous at how success factors doesn't really understand this, its strengths and, and uh, tout them as well as they should. Um, Particularly in areas like globalization, it's like uh, it's clearly uh, from from a lot of the people that we talked to, they were like uh, far and away success factors is is the best in globalization because uh, you know there's hundreds of engineers available to make sure that that all of the global uh, requirements are being met and that shows up really highly in, in areas like uh, GDPR that we that we've had podcasts about um, yeah. and I and I dare say that we're one of the best uh, that success factors. Um, is one of the best at that of anyone. Mm-hmm. Mark, did you have something you wanted to yeah, share? I was just going to say, and the fact that they've had people on the ground in every major country yeah. getting requirements for a very long time. Makes a big difference. Yeah. And they talked yeah. about that as well. They talked about having like 55, I think, like just regional experts, and they have this whole support team that's there to provide uh, expertise for on-premise customers that's also being you know reused for Employee Central. And I just think that's a – I think James Harvey said – James Harvey said that he had we have more they had more people doing globalization activities than he had as in his entire team at Taleo. Mm-hmm. So just to put it, and I don't think that SAP tells that story. Like it's easy to say, you know, it's easy to say we're cloud. Just but it's also easy to say we're global. And I'm seeing a lot of companies yeah. that are dinging SAP on one side, but yet they're jumping on the claim that they're you know they're available in 100 and X countries. But at the end of the day, they're offering their U.S. template. Globally, and I, I think one of the things we recommended to SAP is really start to push the envelope a little bit there. You know, make sure make sure that you're showing your advantages and and making your competitors go and show that they really are global. If they want to if they want to kind of compete, a multinational U.S. company that has businesses in France and Japan and the U.K. and the U.S., make them show that they can really meet those legal and regulatory needs in those countries. And it, I've seen a lot of scenarios where some of the competitors can't meet those needs, which is a little. Hard to believe. And another area that that and we heard this from an, 
from one analyst in particular, who could not believe that, that, that Workday is actually able to sell to customers that they integrate better to SAP payroll than SuccessFactors does, which it, it just kind of boggles the mind that, that they are able to get that out there. But, but uh, mm-hmm. that also led into a discussion that, that SuccessFactors just, just does not push back enough and doesn't really mm-hmm. articulate what it's bringing to the table enough. And that's just a perfect example. I know that we talk about payroll or the our SAP payrolls and we're ready to move on to the next thing and, and we're, we absolutely are but uh, even right now it is the best payroll out there on the market and, and pretty much everyone agrees to that and being able to integrate tightly to that uh, for the foreseeable mm-hmm. future in a way that's going to be better uh, integrated than uh, any of the competitor products will be able to. That's that's something that really doesn't get touted nearly enough, mm-hmm. and that was and that was not something that that uh, uh, success factors came up with. That's something the analysts came up with to say, look, you guys aren't really accentuating your positives nearly enough. Hmm. And so I think that was, uh, and, that, and I think that was well received. I mean, the, the the other point I'll make here, and I'll and I'll shut up, but the. Uh, the analysts um, also were were talking in the in success factors. Clearly, uh, the leadership was listening. I mean, they uh, they definitely took a position of and, and solicited a lot of information from the analysts and from everyone there. And it, you know, I, I found that really refreshing to know that they're they seem like they're really listening, trying to take it in and, and take action based on what we're hearing from customers. So, but that was pretty cool. Brandon, do you think that we'll see? Um some maybe more in-depth or more specific marketing campaigns over the next year, maybe touting some of these capabilities and differentiating factors? Did they touch on that at all? or? Uh, not not really. Time, I think time will tell on that. I mean, I think that's part of what um, was coming across is that uh, this team is trying to formulate what their marketing strategy and their go-to-market strategy is going to be. They know what they are as a company. They just don't know how to describe it real well to the outside world yet. And I'll take a bit, a bit of a stronger stance on that. I'll be shocked if it doesn't. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, I think that there's been, a, at least in some markets, specifically North America, which is a very – SAP has some, some great growth in a lot of markets, but I think that North America is one where they'd like to see a lot stronger growth. And at the end of the day, I think they're realizing they're competing with a very strong competitor. And if they continue to do status quo, they're going to continue to you know have the same results. And so uh, to me, I would expect to see quite – quite some substantial changes in, in messaging. I think you're going to start to see more publicizing of the success, successful things that are happening. Sort of the old SAP model is we will announce something on a periodic basis when a customer goes live. And that might have worked 20 years ago. But when you have, a, when you have competitors that are um, you know, putting out two or three press releases a week of new customers are winning, and, and you're winning customers as well, I, I think you're doing a disservice if you're not telling uh, the market the good things that you're doing as well. Mm-hmm. And I think in a lot of cases, customers look to see where, where success is happening. You know, a lot of these CIOs, CHROs are making a, a pretty important career decision for themselves on what technology they're, they're selecting. And, and I think in a majority of big companies in the United States, from what I see, it's that are looking to move to the cloud. It's either success factors versus Workday or it's Oracle, Oracle versus Workday. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, they're making a big bet on a technology and they want to say, well, look, some of our some of our competitors, some of our industry competitors are doing this. Look, these companies are live with this. Hey, we just talked to these referenceable clients so that they can check those boxes off. It helps make them more secure in, in, in their decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I think another thing that SAP Success Factors doesn't 
tout or uh, publicize well enough is the whole the the payoff from the platform in the integration and you know the SAP cloud platform is just full of all sorts of good stuff and it gives you a great development base for anything else you want to do um, and you know that's something that I think that they could probably um, yeah. advertise a little bit more too. And I think one of the big things, Steve, is that this the leadership turnover. I'm hoping that comes to for a period of time. You know, I, until businesses are fixed, uh, stays intact. Because one of the things I think I found is the previous leadership had some great ideas too, but you need some time to execute execute on these things. And and I think that's one advantage. I mean, there was a, we're talking a lot of workday on this call, but there was a lot of workday in that discussion as well that we had over those mm -hmm. two days. We didn't talk about. I don't believe any Oracle wasn't even mentioned one time, other than the Oracle database. In the mm -hmm. HANA discussion, so you know, I think I think that's one of the one of the one of the key areas as well. Do you guys have anything else you want to bring up? Anything uh, that we haven't talked about of of value to the audience? SAP HCM, all the stats we get are on success factors. All the new programs fixing customer support are for success factors customers. All the marketing material GDPR is for success factors customers. And I made the point probably fifteen different times is like. Your the SAP HCM payroll customers are forgotten, and there's a reason why you're not converting these to success factors customers. Is there a forgotten customer base that you're not speaking to? And I talked to Greg one on one several at least well three times, but about um, one of the topics was you need to figure out a way to get these customers to Success Connect by creating a track for them and getting them there, having them start to pick up some cloud religion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it's a great point. I've had customers complain to me about that, too. They say that, um, you know, they know that they have to go to cloud, but they don't want to be rushed. They're going to make their decision when they make it. And in the meantime, um, they feel neglected. So, yeah. You know, and I would say it's not just about giving on-premise customers some love so they can move to the cloud. I, I think it's also because they are loyal, paying customers. They've been customers for a long time. They've been paying maintenance every year. Um, and up until recently, they've been getting, uh, uh, you know, that's where the investment dollars have been. That's where the enhancements are coming. And sure, at some point, SAP, like any vendor, have to move on to the next generation of technology. But they also have to realize they built a very good on-premise HR solution that serves a lot of customers really well. And they're just not ready to move yet. And in the meantime, instead of starving them of enhancements and innovations, in, in an effort to maybe you know force them to look at upgrading while they're paying maintenance towards a, a, a solution that they may never actually implement, I, th mm -hmm. I think SAP needs to give some genuine love to these customers. You know, listen to their concerns. Maybe you know look at giving them some GDPR functionality and some other functionality because you're not necessarily going to keep them um, from going to the cloud just because the cloud or the functionality is if they're just unhappy with you as a vendor overall. We know that sometimes SAP's biggest challenge for getting customers to the cloud is is some of the history that Success Factors has has kind of acquired from becoming part of SAP. Right. You know, SAP have had some of those issues in the past with support, um, mm -hmm. and some of the you know we, we hear sometimes stories about arrogance here and there. Yeah, that hurts Success Factors in some way. Um, but it's not always the case with SAP that that's the that's the standard behaviour. Um, anymore, and you know, if, if, if success factors just hope by or SAP hope by you know, not not enhancing the on-premise solution anymore, 
that's going to get customers to go to employee central quicker or, or the rest of success factors quicker i think they're i think they're mistaken i think so too yeah totally agree well it's been a great discussion um thanks Jarrett, brandon and, and luke for being there and sharing it with us and uh hopefully you get invited back next year you guess and didn't do anything bad to uh be taken off the list i assume um so we'll get to do this again next year and you know there's a lot of exciting things happening so um thanks for sharing all that with us and um so amy since you brought up uh best practices that's going to be our next podcast okay yeah so everyone get primed up for hearing about best practices leading practices good practices and, and all that stuff and we'll dissect that on the next podcast but for now thanks everyone for your time um appreciate it and uh we'll see you on the next podcast thanks <laughs>